You're listening to The Life of Tri. It's triathlon for your ears. Well, live from the Peter Kropko studio, it is... uh, there's a name that we wouldn't all know. Uh, if you know it, if you know without Googling that name, uh, hats off. Hats off to oh you. Oh my goodness. That is a blast from the past for sure. A hundred percent. The man from Hungary who could run the house down uh, and was well known for his feet. And if I had to explain that to you, learn the bloody history of the sport. Hi, I'm Phil. This is Kevin. We're doing the life of Troy. We are up and about. We are only a few days away again from the, uh, if I say the big dance, I'm going to have to punch myself right in the crotch. So I'm just going to say from, uh, from Kona, Kevin, hello. The big show. Yeah. The big day, the yeah. big two days this year, which I know you're just so excited about. We're going to get to that. I've, I'm coming off the long run. I'm coming off the long run. Now I want to talk a little bit before we get started about the world of sport, Kevin, as you know, I am a connoisseur of all things sporting. Uh, and I think there's a couple of things we probably want to highlight. Yeah. Heck you even know about American football. Your son plays. Uh, I am. That's, that's just like frightening. It is. We are about to start the season. Uh, go bucks. Uh, we are about to start our season next week. I believe, uh, we are. Your son's still QB, the QB quarterback. He is throwing beautifully at the moment. He's got, uh, some very good coaches around him and he's throwing well. So look out, I think class of. What draft is it we're looking for? Uh, another four years. So there you go. There we go. I'm hedging all my bets because the athletic talent fell to him and it certainly didn't come from me. Hey, a couple of things to keep our no, uh, notable. First of all, the marathon. Uh, we saw all that this week. Um, 201, frightening. Uh, wait, wait uh, was that, uh, which one was that? Berlin, come on, man. Come on, stay oh, with there me. There we go. Oh, the, my last few days, uh, you've got to excuse me. I uh, was down in New York announcing at the uh, Tough Man Try, the US, USA Triathlon Championships. That was my, oh, I think, what was it, fifth uh, event that I was announcing um, in four weeks and on, well, two different continents and for three different countries, four different countries. So I'm just a wreck. So yeah. yeah, Kipchoge goes two oh one, and I'm not sure what it was. Yeah, and change it. Look, it really or two oh one oh nine. Yeah, yeah, couldn't get under two hours. He's rubbish. Um, but um, <laughs> jeez, what a. Do you know the the first thing we're not doing though is asking if the course is accurate. Little dig at triathlon there, um, and. I think I, I was looking at the 5k splits he was doing and they're frightening. Like they're absolutely frightening what he got up to. Um, with only, it was like you know, 14 and change for every 5k. The guy's like a metronome. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, really well done. It's, it's with all sports, when we see something great happen, we are, um, I think we all hold our breath. Um, but you know, it's in pretty impressive what he got up to. 252 uh, per kilometer. Yeah. That that to me is what, well, yeah. And I guess the 5K splits 1424, 1421, sorry. Yeah. 0. 0.4. Um, but yeah, 252, like 
how many people do you know who can't run 252? I can't run it anymore. There was a time when I could run that. Mm. Uh, but putting 42 of them together yeah. is, um, is frightening. Yeah, now, we're, we're off to, or next, I am off next tomorrow to go and see a bunch of athletes do similarly impressive stuff over in Kona. So it's, are you more impressed by this than like Jan's, uh, what did he end up going in Kona, 752? Yeah, I mean, look, they're both very different things, aren't they? And they're very good examples of very good people doing very good things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this, this is very good anymore. I don't know. I'm just saying, I'm, you know, we're all holding our breath until the word nutty comes out. Cause that's a Canadian swear. <laughs> like in Australia, we just go fuck and you guys just go nutty. And it's like, Oh my God, he said nutty. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think they're both awesome. Look, to be honest, um, they are really, but I, I just, yeah, the the bar there is is just at a at an all time high. Um, the second thing I wanted to move on to too, um, we're talking about iconic sporting moments. Was the Nadal and Federer? Now I know we're talking tennis. When this is a triathlon podcast, why are we talking tennis? Because it's sport, people. Um, how did you see the last part of there? The rivalry, you know, the the rivalry that we saw, um, you know, between those two, and it dawned upon me how legit that rivalry was because I think the first five Grand Slams Federer played in, Nadal was on the other side of the net. Um, and it just, it brought home to me. I know we've talked about this a bit on the podcast about how important rivalries are. This one was one for the ages though, but also highlighted how important genuine, genuine rivalries are, Kevin. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, to me, <clears throat> It, you're, I love what you're saying there because it hits home. You can have a rivalry and you don't have to have um, the whole pile of trash talking. You don't have to have uh, people going after each other. Um, like, you know, these guys on the court, absolutely, you know, going after each other, not giving in a thing. Uh, but afterwards it was like, yeah, the guy could still be a really good guy and he could still be a really good player. And there, there didn't need to be any of this uh, derogatory stuff going back and forth. No. Um, so you could have a rivalry where you could also still have mutual respect. Um, and that actually didn't hurt anything at all. And people still wanted to watch those matches. Yeah. And it was a legit, as you said, it, you know, like it was the way to have a rivalry without being a dick about everything. I think that's really important to highlight what you have. And it, it I, I, it's very triathlon-esque, that rivalry. You know, um, it, it's a very, um, it's a gentleman's rivalry. And I think in triathlon too, because it's been amateur for so long, um, you know, and it's not n nosebleed and all that kind of stuff, although I'm probably undoing my own argument here. But it does certainly hold sway that rivalry in sport is super important, you know. And one of the real misses from this weekend or the weekend coming in Kona is that there will be no Fredino uh, there and no, you know, versus the, the Norwegians, um, you know, there's none of that. And that's it. That's for mine is a real disappointment because there was a, you know, a nice rivalry there. There would have been a really good anticipation, you know, um, one of the few guys with the weapons. We're not, we're going to get into that obviously uh, deeper into the, the week closer to the, uh, to Kona, but, um, it was a nice, nice moment, a nice moment. And, um, 
you know, our uh, our local Australian derby was held last weekend, Kevin, the uh, the grand final of the Australian rules football. And the team that won, um, the Geelong, which is where Geelong 70.3 is, funnily enough, and that's literally, you know, 15 minutes up the road from where I live. Yeah, I was going to say that's close to where you are. Yeah. So the captain of that team when he did his lap of honour, there was 100,000 people in the stadium. He did a lap of honour at the end with everybody, with all his teammates, and they're all celebrating. He found a boy, uh, Sam, who's a, a local lad as well, who um, is a Down syndrome um, uh, lad, and they literally pulled him over the fence, gave him one of their medals, and he was doing laps of honour with them. Um, and that was, for me, a highlight in sport, I think, um, you know, and it went viral. I know um, Sports Centre in America picked up on it as well. Uh, and a lot of people did as uh, picked up on it. And if you haven't, again, if you're a North American person, Google it. It's a it's a really nice moment when this young lad sees, you know, this captain, this courageous footballer who's been playing for for a decade now on the edge. And you know, it was a really nice moment in sport. And it, it sort of, you know, uh, underlines again the power rivalries, yes, but also the power of good in sport. You know, and again, as you said, Kevin, you don't have to be a complete. Uh, tool in order to get your message, in order to do good in sport, in order to make an impact. Uh, and I think we kind of forget that a little bit at the moment with, um, you know, the way some sports are played. Yeah, yeah, no, but I think triathlon has a great history of of all of that. And um, yeah, you know, and, and even I, I got to, I'm not sure if we're, yeah, I, hopefully we'll talk about that PTO US Open. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I when I was hosting the press conference for that, Sam Long there and, and, um, and Lionel Sanders. Um, and then it was uh, Daniel Beckegaard, I think was the other, uh, other athlete on the, um, uh, in that, in that press conference. And, um, you know, I had to ask Sam about that whole, you know, stuff with Sam Lalo at the PTO, uh, or at the Collins cup. And, um, you know, just, uh, Sam really came out class, as a classy dude through all of that, you know, and, and uh, and and was quick to say, you know, I, I look back and I regret doing some of the trash talking stuff that I did a few years back. Um, but uh, you know, and 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 it was interesting because Lionel was very quick to uh, to kind of say, you know, as, as long as it was all in good fun, and that's exactly the way I felt it was uh, with Sam and and going after the, um, I guess it was the king of the mountain up Mount Lemon, right? Um, and those two kind of going back and forth. And, and Lionel was, you know, I, I thought he did just a great job of outlining how, you know, these two could go out after each other, but it, you know, sort of very much tongue in cheek and very much, uh, you know, with a smile on their face. And I think that um, that hopefully is what's going to differentiate triathlon um, with that kind of stuff. You know, we, we have a lot of class act, class acts, to look up to in our sport and uh, they do a great job with that. So they do Hopefully we can have a lot of the Federer Nadal uh, type rivalries in our sport. You know, we've had, we had, uh, you know, Paula and, um, uh-oh, Aaron Baker. Aaron Baker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, uh, you know, Dave and uh, Mark Allen, Dave Scott, and Mark Allen, the, the big four, um, which would then include Scott Tinley and Melina. Uh, Scott, uh, Scott Molina. Molina, there yep. we go. Um, like those guys are all just like class acts all the way through. But they, they, um, that's right. And, and you know, they didn't have social media in those days. But what they did do is they had a lot of those NBC productions or the ABC, whoever was covering it at the time, 
you know, they had a lot of those productions to sit there and, and talk smack. You know, they had ample opportunity to be an ass and they, they chose the higher ground, um, which is, I think, you know, decent. Um, and, you know, sometimes like the Macca version of rivalry where he was, you know, real angry and, and a boxer trapped in a, in a triathlete's body, that's, that has its place and that there's something in that. But I think if everybody was carrying on like that, um, you know, that was just his personality. But I think if everyone carried on like that, it would be, it would get old really quickly. Um, and it would be contrived and it would be like, oh, here they go again. And, you know, genuine rivalry has got to come from uh, a place of, you know, wanting what the other person has. Um, and that other person then, you know, reciprocating those those feelings. And I think, it, it, and I must say, Kevin, if I hear the term iron war, uh, <laughs> there's only one iron war, right? Let's just forget everything else. And when two dudes run next to each other for more than two kilometers, and everyone's like, oh, it's iron war. It's like, it's not iron war. It's not. It's just not. No, no, because you, you have to remember those two were next to each other for the entire day, right? Like that, and, you know, and, and it was, well, there's a, been a book written about the, the thing, you know? So, um, yeah, no, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. Um, well, and if you ask we, Mark Allen about it, you'll get an eye roll because the guy's sick of it too, probably, you know, is when I spoke to him in uh, another podcast I did earlier in January, we spoke and we didn't get near it. There's no point, right? Like it's a great story. It's folklore. It's important. And I think one of the I think triathlete magazine or one of those other guy, um, magazines was writing about why it's important. Um, and it is, so it was an important part of our sport, but yeah, you've got to, as you said, they were run next to each other. There was a huge historical buildup of dislike you know, there was a alternating. Yeah, well, and I'm not sure. I I I I want to just counter on that. I'm not sure how much there was a dislike. Um, that's certainly, you know, because heck, I I ended up in the medical tent, um, in the cot next to Mark for both his '87 <laughs> and '89 race. Uh, so I, I I feel like I can speak from a little bit of of sort of. Uh, certainly, I wasn't a good friend of Mark. I'm not trying or Dave's or anything like that, but. Um, so I just want to push back on the dislike. Um, but is it you know, dislike, Kevin? Is it rivalry? dislike or it's not hatred? Like people say, oh, they hated each other. I think dislike might have been, you know, can we talk, can we call it dislike? That was there, There's a general air of, you know, the fact that they just didn't, they didn't get along there, right? They both wanted, but to me, it's it's Nadal and, and Federer, right? Like they both wanted to, they both wanted to win. Um, and yeah, and, and I feel like we could beat the iron war thing to death. The only thing I have ever wanted to, to add to that was, um, you know, when Dave made his comeback to racing 94, was yeah. it when he came yeah. second? Well, yeah. he won 94, yeah. uh, Dave came second. And, and I remember, um, you know, the one time that Dave got prickly with me in an interview, um, was when I said, did Mark need to beat you in 89 to, to legitimize his Ironman history? And Dave kind of just went, you'll have to ask Mark that, um, which I did. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure I got the answer, you know, like, yeah, like he needed to, if, if Mark had never beaten Dave um, when Dave was at his, at his best, um, he, you know, Dave would go down in history as, the best Iron Man ever. Now, to me, it's sort of a, a, a tie between the two. They both took six titles and both were dominant in their own ways. But, um, you know, if, if 
if Mark hadn't won that day, if David found a way and then retired, can you imagine what that would have done? Now, Dave is impossible, incapable. Like the guy's banging on, I don't know, he's well into his 60s and he looks freaking awesome. He's super fit. Um, I, I, and he's a ripping bloke too. I spoke to him yeah. in Kona one year and um, he was coaching Rachel Joyce. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, he's, it, the guy's a, like yeah. a, a freak of nature in terms of fitness and all that stuff. So, but really nice yeah, fella too. That, that second place to Welty is possibly, you know, I think, was he 42 at the time? Yeah. Um, you know, possibly one of the greatest races ever. Because uh, back in 1994, 42-year-olds weren't racing in Kona. No. no. Uh, we're seeing it more now, but look at the advances we've got in terms of technology and nutrition, um, you know, sports recovery, all of that stuff. Uh, we're in a whole nother realm uh, compared to that. So, yeah. Um, but is he the yeah, best ever? Though? Is Mark Allen the best ever, the, the best that's ever been? Is he the goat of this sport? It's a Ooh, question without I, notice. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it like I would. I, I hope this is not being disrespectful to Mark. I know many people would, but um, I would put Mark right up there with, uh, with Dave Scott. Um, I think um, you certainly have the argument that. I, and I'm now talking on the men's side, uh, just the men's side. Um, but Jan Frodeno certainly up there as well. Uh, Christian Blumenfeld, if he continues on this role for the next decade like he's on, um, it's going to be sort of hard to hard to imagine him not getting there. He's not there yet, but um, those three in terms of Ironman stuff. No, just overall though. Like up. Mark Allen won the 19, was it 90 in Avignon? He won the, the Olympic title. Olympic distance time. Uh, Olympic distance. So the very first uh, world championship in Avignon, that was Mark in 89. Yeah, right. Yep. So that was 89. So he won 89. Well, she won one as well. Won her Ironman. Well, I, uh, he won the one in Florida. Was it 90 or 91? Nine, no, 91 was Gold Coast with Miles Stewart, I reckon. Or 90 okay, so was Gold he, Coast. Yeah, mm. so I think... Um, uh, so Welchie must have won in 90. Oh, good grief. I should know all this. And but then Kona in 94. In saying that though, like in saying, so does the gold medal legitimize or does the gold medal push for Dino over the top of those boys because of how high he's achieved in that and his multiple Ironman titles? Or do you give Mark Allen the nod because there was no Olympics when he was racing? He was still 10 years shy of that when he was winning his world titles. And if there was an Olympics when he was at his peak, would he have gone and won it? Because clearly he was handy over the Olympic distance. Um, you know, and then there was six Kona titles. Yeah. You know, these, these are all awesome arguments to have. And, um, you know, I, I just, as you can tell, I don't want to hand it out, like just to hand out to, to one person um, simply because there's different eras too. Like you look at Dave Scott, um, you know, now I'm going to throw out my argument for Dave. So Dave took the sport from this participation, you're just going to survive. And threw the, threw the um, gloves down and was like, this is a race, folks. Um, so, you know, with Dave starting to win the Ironman in the early, early 80s, and you look at the times and the way he dropped the Ironman World Championship record down over the years, um, you know, at a time when the sport was just, you know, just kind of, progressing um yeah it's pretty pretty amazing what what dave scott did and to me uh, a goat is somebody who 
changes the way the way everyone looks at the sport. Hmm. And uh, you know, Dave certainly did that. No, I mean, no, no denying it. I, I think though, I think the spread of talent in the sport in terms of what you can do in a short course and long course and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think that holds a little bit of weight for me as well. And I don't disagree with you that Dave was phenomenal. Um, and, you know, yeah. Paul and you be phrased, but then, you know, like they weren't running off to win short course world titles. Um, no, absolutely. And that's, um, you know, and, and, but the, the question is how, how would Dave have been uh, like, cause Dave, you know, I certainly raced. I still remember racing against Dave at uh, LAUSTS way back when, and he'd been in a bike crash the day before. Um, and so he's trying to figure out how on earth he could wear his wetsuit with all this road rash that he had on. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't think um, I can't remember who won that race, but you know, he was certainly among among the top folks. Um, he could race short course stuff. Mark, the thing with Mark was. Um, he just almost always won. Like, you know, you, you saw he, he didn't race as much. Like Scott Molina would race 40, 45 times a year. Uh, Dave would, you know, pick and choose. Mark did fewer races, but he almost always won everything he did. Yeah, um, yeah. And you had so, that, um, I think, 91, he had that streak, didn't he, uh, where he won everything. Like, everything he went into, I think it was. Yeah. Well, if it wasn't for Kona through the 80s, Mark would almost always have had sort of unbeaten seasons, you know, and, and he won Nice 10 times. Like yeah. some of the things that he had to do to win that too, you know, like the comeback runs he had and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, easy. So I guess I'm just, I'm just throwing out very easy to argue any of those guys. I 100% hear what you're saying. Um, so yeah, like Ferdano winning gold medal and then Kona, unbelievable. Um, McKeeley Jones silver medal that, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, the, the, that, that performance, the silver medal in, in Melbourne, considering she was the only Aussie to make a podium, um, in a year that, you know, the Aussies were predicting they were going to go one, two, three in both the men's and women's races. Right. Mm, yeah. Um, the pressure that she was under to, to hold it all together and get that silver and then come back and win Kona. A bunch of years later, uh, a few years later, 2006. So, um, yeah, you know, all uh, that puts her in my mind. But most people wouldn't put her in that way because, you know, Paula won eight eight uh, Kona titles. Um, Natasha Badman might have won more bar were, were it not for her horrible bike crash. Mm. So, mm. yeah, I mean, again, I, it's a it's a podcast you'd need probably four or five hours for. I would have thought, and a lot more alcohol. Uh, to get through. <laughs> and so let me just, uh, just one last thing. So Dave Scott, when he won in, in 1980, um, he won the, won the Ironman World Championship in 924.33. You know what the course record was before that? 11.15.56. Uh, Tell me that was Tom Warren. That was Tom Warren. Oh. Good memory, sir. Oh, there we go. So, you know, Dave goes uh, 9.24.36. Then the next time he wins, he goes 908, 905, 854, um, 828, 834. And then uh, what he and Mark in 89 uh, were like both 809. I think Dave was 810. So, hmm. you know, just game changing. The, the podium, 
the what? podium in in eighty seven men's or eighty eight. Eighty seven, I think. Uh so uh eighty seven, Dave Scott, Mark Allen, and Greg Stewart. There it is. There it is, right? Greggy Stewart is a local lad who is still uh I, well, I was in his bunch about a year or two ago just riding up. He lives in Geelong, so close. He's a pool fence install installer. Um and great little, I mean, I'm, you know, yeah, but he was third and he goes riding out and he still snaps legs. He's still twig thin and he still snaps legs oh. on the bike. He's a lunatic. Um, but he, like, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. Like he's the most underrated person you've ever seen. But, you know, think about him on the podium with those two giants and then little Greggy Stewart. Yeah, unreal. It's crazy, isn't it? Like, no one knows who he is. You wouldn't know he could walk down the middle of Kona and he'd be like, I'm that guy, old dude. But yeah, in that that day, he put that day together behind those two giants. It's an epic story, um, you know, and it's you'd never know. Like, you could ride with him every day of the week and you wouldn't have a clue who he was. Um, you know, Luke Bell used to tell a story about being in Boulder and riding with an old guy one day and, you know, not being able to drop him. And as they peeled off, he peeled off at the end of the ride. And I think Luke says, who, who was that? And they said, it's Andy Hampson. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't know Andy Hampson, he was a Tour de France, rode for the 7-Eleven team. Was, I think he won the Tour of Italy one year. Uh, yeah, yeah, like absolute beast. Um, Guy was, well, Andy Hampson, my favorite Andy Hampson story. I think he broke his collarbone um, early on in one of the major tours. I can't remember if it was Italy or France. He finished the race, like rode weeks with this broken collarbone. Um, and when he got back to the U.S., they had to go and pretty much redo his teeth because he just ground his teeth oh. out because of the pain. Oh, um, like the guy was that's you know, bad. Un- unbelievable. That's bad. I don't want to hear that. That's Yeah, that's gnarly. Hey, um, the U.S. Open race pro thing, the PTO ran a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> A uh, couple of things about that race. First of all, Ashley Gentle has found her niche. Her niche. Clearly, she is the best athlete in the world at this distance right now. Um, she just keeps winning. Um, yeah, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars from the uh, from the two opens. Um, yeah, absolutely amazing. And, uh, and bloody good on it because she's been slaving away at this sport forever right like she's won noosa like four thousand times and you know for a two two dollars and a burrito sort of paycheck you know like she's i feel that she's just been like she's one of those races who's just slogged away at it forever you know and he's finally getting really good reward for it and you know when you race in the national programs you get bugger all money it's a hard way to the top you know on on the national program circuit um, and it seems nice that she's getting, you know, some, some cashola reward. Yeah, no, just unbelievable. And, uh, it, whew, she just, she runs like the freaking wind. Yeah. It's unreal. Yeah. Um, knew she was a strong runner, but, um, I'm trying to remember like that. I think she ran 65 minutes. Don't hold me to this. And, uh, Karen Smyers and I were, were kind of looking the next closest run split on the women's race was six minutes and six seconds slower. Like just, you know, over, over 18 K that is mind boggling. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy, but it, it, so, it doesn't surprise me though, because of her, um, 
you know, like, always was a very good pro in that in the world um, triathlon days. You know, when she was predominantly doing that, um, and always came to Noosa and destroyed everybody. You know, in good condition. So that's non yeah, um So her plan is to get back to Noosa again this year, um, but that'll be post wedding. So uh, surprisingly. I don't know if it's surprising to you guys, but I was very surprised to hear she's not going to St. George for the 70.3 Worlds. Um, she's heading back down under um, because it is, uh, it's time to get, or get the plans put together for the wedding. She and Josh Amberger um, getting married and she was like, I postponed this thing twice. I am not doing it again. And um, so I'm heading back to organize the wedding and I'm missing 70.3 worlds. But you know what, though? That's someone who's got their, um, I don't know, their world in alignment, I would have thought. Um, Josh is... Absolutely. Yeah. I just yeah. I thought totally somebody who's got this, uh, as you say, got, got everything together. And and yeah, like, and also I'm not sure, you know, St. George probably isn't a course that really suits her. Um, but uh, most importantly, I think she kind of realizes I've been on this role had a bunch of big races. Like I was announcing her, she won challenge Miami back in March. Right. So she's been going for a bit, mm. um, time for a little bit of a break and recharge the batteries, get married, do all that. She's got 200 grand at least, mm. uh, to put towards the wedding and honeymoon. That'll be fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, how, how awesome is all that? And then, um, my guess is she'll cruise on over to Noosa and, demo everyone there and if you've been to noosa i have not mm. one of the best races in 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 the world if you haven't ever been you want to do a bucket list race go to noosa right go along hastings street order a soy mochaccino latte with the gentrified and then uh you know get into some fun bars really fun bars um prior to the race maybe after the race uh we always did it prior because um, the race was on a Sunday, you'd land up there on a Wednesday and you could run amok for a couple of days and recover and get ready for your race on Sunday. Um, but a really beautiful spot. And uh, it, it, you know, it has an honor roll on it, the likes of, you know, which is, you know, world renowned. You know, there has been the, the people who have won that event uh, are really decent. And there's lots of things there on the build up. There's the swim, there's the bolt up and down Hastings Street, there's the criterium with the, you know, used to get the best in the world where Robin McEwen finished his career. Peter Sagan has come out and raced there. Uh, of course, multiple green jersey winner of the Tour de France. Um, yeah, it's a really good time. So going up there, it's non drafting as well. So, um, you know, she probably will be exceptionally impossible to beat up there. Um, but it, good for her. The wedding, fantastic. Josh, great bloke. Uh, moving on from that race, though, um, you were there. You got to um, hang about with uh, none other than Michael Johnson, who, of course, uh, famed 400-meter runner. Very, ran a very upright. Very upright as a runner. Yeah. Well, uh, it was, yeah, it was funny. Um, he, he was part of uh, the, the press conference uh, for both the men and the women, and uh, – Holy jumping, such a well-spoken um, guy and knows knows his stuff. Um, he's a Dallas native, which is why he wanted to be there and be involved and help promote the event and, and all that stuff. And um, yeah, you know, it really hit home the uh, just how 
big a deal both he is and sort of Olympic golds and, and that kind of era and all that stuff. Like the, just the coverage that people or that he engendered so that, you know, people just wanting or uh, outlets wanting to just come and interview him and cover him and why he was at the thing brought everything to a whole nother level. Um, so, you know, it's amazing. You, you throw a million dollars down, you get these amazing triathlon fields. Um, but, you know, it's still it's still a stretch to get the the uh, regular media to jump on this triathlon bandwagon. So um, it was pretty cool when you uh, added or just to see the you know what Michael Johnson brings to the table. You know, and so 200, 400 gold medalist in '96, uh, uh, gold medalist in uh, in 2000. Um, yeah, it was funny. They, they, when we were going through the stuff with the, uh, or when I was going through the stuff with the PTO folks, um, I, I can't remember how somebody described it, but you know, they wanted to talk about his um, unorthodox running style or whatever. And I said, I am not talking to Michael Johnson about his unorthodox running style. Like the guy got things done, man. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, yes, he had sort of that upright running style that was a bit different or whatever. But did you give him some um, tips? Uh, well, so, you know, it was interesting because to me, he was always able to do that because he, he must have had incredibly, incredible hip flexor flexibility to be able to just sort of maintain that position. The rest of us mortal beings need to be a lot more forward. Uh, and one of the things he talked about um, was how in college, one of the big things that you know, he got had to get serious about was taking care of himself and doing the stretching and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it was uh, really interesting. So Taylor Nib, um, I don't know if, if anyone goes and, and looks up the press conference, it was really funny. When I first, when she first met Michael Johnson, she was like, Oh my God, do I, do we get to ask him questions? And I, and so at the end of the press conference, I said, Taylor, you can ask him one question. And nice. so she did. And then, of course, she jumped in with a follow-up as well, which was too funny. So, question in seven uh, parts. Yeah. So take cover. Taylor Nib uh, is after both of us. Hopefully, she'll have a long enough try career that uh, we'll be out of the biz by the time she comes over to uh, knock us out of the podcast world, Phil. Wouldn't take much, Kevin. Um it really, um, he tweeted too about reforming athletics in a way that triathlon has reformed itself, which I thought was interesting. Um, and that side of it, I mean, I would have thought the Golden League in athletics and that is doing really well. I would have, and it's, you know, it's a consumable sport because 400 takes what 40 seconds to, to from gun to, to finish. The 100 meters is easy to watch. The, you know, um, Athletics seems to be, I know in this country, it's, it's no one gives a rat's ass about it. It's really not that in, important or interesting. But obviously in America and in Europe with bigger named stars constantly running, uh, it would be um, something that's quite marketable. But he was interested, I think, in the model that the PTO was using. So clearly he had gone to school on what's happening. But I, it's interesting that you say, I once asked Kieran Perkins, who was the great 1500 meters from, from Australia, who won his first gold medal in 1992 in Barcelona, um, Amigo Parasempre, for those of you who want to get on board with that. Um, and I said to him, and this is my, I was, I was doing radio at the time, I was doing sports radio, and I thought I was a real, you know, real legend. <laughs> <laughs> you can see where this is going. 
And I asked him, well, what would you rather win? A world championship or a gold medalist? And he, the look that he gave me was like, you must be the dumbest guy on the planet. He said, mate, gold medal every day of the week. He said, because world championships or um, world records come and go. He said, I'm always going to be a gold medalist. And I'm like, yep, that works. Follow-up question. The interview went south rapidly after that too. Kieran hated me for some reason. We oh, And then he, he, he did a – I was hosting an Ironman function a few years later and he showed up as the guest speaker. And this was after 96. Oh, man. He, and he saw me and we locked eyes and he's just looked at me and he's just gone, oh, for God's sake, this guy. It's terrible. It's a terrible time for everybody. That's a side note. I asked the same question from Jan Fredino, what would you rather, Kona or gold medal? And got the same response. Now, these gold medals are these Olympic champions, and we've been celebrating recently the two, the 20th or 22nd you know, uh, anniversary of Kathy Freeman's 400-meter gold medal, which in our country she's revered for that run. If you don't know it, go Google Kathy Freeman. She literally ran with 17 million Australians on her shoulders. Um, and I won't tell you what happened, but you can probably guess. Um, you know, those sorts of big, big world performances, they're a different breed, aren't they, when you get to stand next to them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I know. Michael Johnson, and, and it was, you know, because I, uh, so I posted a, posted a photo of and, and Michael and, and Karen Smyers, and um, I'm pretty much, I I think... I, I cannot think of any other time that I've ever done that with an athlete. Um, so, you know, I kind of said, Michael, I don't do this, but would you mind if I could just take a photo? Like it, it just sort of felt like that kind of moment um, for me. Uh, yeah, no, the guy was, guy was unbelievable. And, and yeah, I just can't even imagine what it's like to be in that kind of realm, you know, where, um, and again, sort of, changing changing the nature of the sport and you know he's he's sort of coming in he talked about kind of the quote-unquote rivalry with carl lewis right um and uh you know I, I just can't imagine what that's like to be part of um something that huge and all of the media stuff that goes around it and i'm sure he was just hounded like crazy and and so it's you know pretty pretty cool that uh, 22 years after his second gold medal, people are still stopping him everywhere. Hey, you're Michael Johnson. Can I get your photo? Can I do all of this? Like, it, it gives you an idea of just, yeah, the power, as you say, of that gold medal for yeah. sure. And even just like iconic, like Rob DeCostello, who was an iconic mustachioed marathon runner in Australia. Yeah, well, eight marathoner back in the days. Yeah, like we're going back plenty of years, but I, I commentated the um, Melbourne Marathon with him once. We had, I think, I don't know, it's like thousands of people running. And I reckon 90% of them, he was on the podium with me at the start and we were calling, you know, doing our usual, you know, chatty, chatty stuff. But then people just started yelling out, Deeks, Deeks, which was his nickname. And I reckon 5,000 people did that. You know, like he was just so revered, you know. Um, little side note about that. When he was running a marathon once, um, they the TV cameras picked him up. He was... Um, washing like using cold water on his legs and so all these marathoners started doing that thinking that that was the whole idea of what you should do and that's how you run fast keep your legs cool but he was actually just being in the bathroom he was cleaning himself up 
Yeah, I I had a feeling that was coming. It's just, it's, I mean, triathlons, triathletes would have jumped on it. Remember the biopace chain ring? Good God. Um, so US Pro, good event, done and dusted. Another yeah. one. The and UD- just, uh, just before we uh, just want to acknowledge the amazing performance by Colin Chartier there. No, oh, I don't know who that is. Who's that? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Um, so, you know, Colin, uh, definitely on a roll. One, um, one Ironman Montremblant in August. And um, he has uh, he, he has just started working with Nico Eden, um, been doing a ton of training with Lionel Sanders. And um, you can just see the difference almost immediately, right? Like the guy, he's always been the real deal. He's won some 70.3s in the past and stuff. But um, yeah, what an amazing race um, he put together to take the men's race. So um, yeah, you know, tribute to both Colin Chartier uh, but gives you a little bit of an idea as to how good a coach Miko Eden is uh, to be able to just bring out the best in people in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly uh, not too many Collins running around the triathlon world. <laughs> good for you. Um, but from your point of view, everything is, you know, dandy with the PTA? Um, so I mean, you're yeah, their boy, you're their man on the ground, Kevin, they love you. They, uh, the, the, so yeah, the events are, are amazing. The, um, you know, we, we had, uh, uh you know, uh, there's in and around just under a thousand age groupers at the, at the race. Um, everyone I talked to loved their experience. Um, it is really cool. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are very excited to just be able to be around the pros and be there with the pros. Uh, there was one woman who came up to me just before the start of her race and said, I am such a huge fan. Why, why haven't you and Phil done a podcast recently? You, we need more podcasts. I'm just such a huge fan. And I was like, oh, wow. So She um, must be an insomniac. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and, you know, a million dollars for these pros is huge. Um, it was uh, it was too bad that uh, it was so the weather was, it, it was really hot, right? And that definitely affected the racing. The, um, you know, I, for the women, um, they were, you know, a lot of them were talking about, you know, I only finished this for the paycheck. Like, yeah. I was, I was worried. And um, yeah, for the guys, it was also, it was even hotter the next day for the guys. Yeah. Um, but um, so, yeah, it was unfortunate that the weather played such a factor Mostly just, I felt badly for the age groupers. They had to shorten the age group race on the Sunday morning uh, just because of the heat warning and everything. And um, so I felt badly for them, but uh, people seemed to have a great time. And yeah, you know, now I, and basically I heard the numbers from PTO, the PTO Canadian Open television wise were amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and that one, went on right after the Tour de France finished yeah. uh, the Tour de France coverage on Eurosport. So that was huge. Um, and my guess is they won't have quite the same numbers for, uh, for Dallas just because they didn't have quite the same lead in and stuff. Um, but you know, the numbers, the, the PTO seemed to be racking up some pretty amazing numbers. Um, it just it would have been nice to have more fans out to watch the race, and that was the that was the one thing uh, for me that yeah. is still 
a big challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, like after watching the Commonwealth Games and even the Collins Cup, there was you know some pretty decent crowds and, and everything. Yeah. Uh, not huge, but um, just, you know, not in North America, it is really tough to get people to come out to watch a try, even if you put a million dollars up. Yeah. So, I mean, unless it's looping around a speedway at warp speed um, or it's throwing or bouncing a ball, you're going to struggle with Americans, I would think. Yeah, yeah. If it doesn't involve a ball or it's not NASCAR, it's a really tough sell in in North America for sure. Yeah, um, you're about to jump a plane to Kona. We're going to be doing a, um, a whole range of stuff in the lead up to Kona, so stay with us because there's lots to go on um, over the next week. But before yeah. we, before we sort of, I don't want to get into it too deep, Kevin. I think we've got a week to unpack some of this stuff. But hearing a lot of pushback about the two day, two things I'm hearing about is is cost so i hope i hope your little canadian uh shekels are going to go far um what do you have a currency in canada or are you still bartering what, what's going on there is there a canadian dollar mm. uh is justin trudeau there well again we're all feeling it with the queen you know us commonwealthers um uh in saying that um expense has been huge a huge talking point in the last couple of weeks on the socials people have been chirping pretty hard on it um the second one is the two day and and the two day as well obviously means that if you're a two-day event you're staying longer um that's causing a lot of concern with age groupers but volunteers as well kevin my uh you know twitter readings and and social media readings um has sort of revealed that there is a real lack of uh, volunteers in the um, in the um, arena at the moment to help out. Brad Culp, who is a buddy of both of ours and a man who knows and has his finger on the pulse, is reporting that the, due to the lack of volunteers, that the aid stations in the marathon will be every 1.6 miles instead of every mile. And then he's reporting that it will be that every aid station on the bike will be every 10 instead of every 7. So the bike, I think, because you can carry a bunch of stuff and all that kind of, you know, it'll be what it'll be. But the run, uh, is that is that really going to test people? He's suggesting that slower athletes are going to be tested. But he's also tweeting too, which is pretty poignant that, you know, and I've been, a, I've been on the same soapbox as him, is that for a billion-dollar industry in business, the fact that you are dependent on unpaid people to run your events as volunteers – uh, and some volunteer groups get paid, not per individual, but as a group. I know that. It's hard, isn't it, to to try and fund the race and get everyone on course? Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, just to, to quickly sort of, you know, yes, do we've done our, our fact-checking on that. You know, Brad um, is right. There are nine aid stations, so there'll be one every – 20 kilometers and and i'm pretty sure um that i'm used to seeing them one every 16k um on the bike so every 10 miles seemed to me to kind of be the number for the aid stations in year years past so to me that's uh you know they're down down a few on the bike and then the run um there's 18 aid stations and yeah i i feel like there used to be pretty much one every mile um and so yeah and i and i don't know so one of the things that uh 
I feel like I've had lots of conversations with people about with the two day Kona thing. Um, you know, certainly all of the uh, photographers and people and journalists and stuff um, have been talking about the fact that like, and you've, you've covered Kona before too. You know how this works. You go bonsai all week long, running around, doing interviews, posting stuff as much as you can. You get to race day, you're running around like crazy, trying to get photos in different places. There's very few of us who get motorcycles. So we're literally running up and down uh, places or jumping on a, uh, on a bike to try and get out to partway through the run course. Um, so you're, it's a full, full day of trying to do coverage. You post your photo galleries, you post your wrap-up stories on Saturday night. You do more, more things on Sunday. You try and get everything done by Sunday at noon. Um, and then you're just a wreck, right? Like you can yeah. barely, you can barely stand up. Um, and all you want to do is go find a beer someplace or just lie down and, 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 and die. Now <laughs> that's going to be, that's going to be Friday. It's Friday at noon. You've gone through that whole ordeal and now you have to do it again on Saturday. And that's nothing compared to what the volunteers are going to be, you know, going through to have to come back. So, yeah, I don't know if, you know, people, how many people are planning on doubling up. It's a lot to ask of people to do this all day Thursday and all day Saturday. So, yeah, I really feel, I feel for Ironman trying to, to work the logistics of all this stuff out, you know, the likes of Rock Fry and Diana Birch, um, you know, Diana, obviously the, the VP of World Championship Events at Ironman and the race director uh, for the Ironman World Championship. Rock is part of the, the team that, that works with Diana on World Championship events and does a lot of the logistics stuff. And yeah, I can't imagine what that's like to try and to trying to figure all that stuff out. But. I don't love it, Kevin. I've, I've, I've gone on record as saying I don't love it. And then you're, you're right. I've covered, I think I did nine or 10 Kona coverages and they're they're fucked. It's so difficult as a, you're right. It's hot as hell. You're lugging camera gear everywhere. You've got a, you know, deadlines to meet. You're trying to get as much out as you can. You've got social media updates to do. You're generally working under the pump as a one man or two man, if you're lucky enough band. I did it with two people one year and it was so much easier, obviously. But if you're, you know, one person, um, it's incredibly difficult because budgets are so tight to get over there as well. And you're right. So yes, it's tough on the journos. It's tough on the volunteers who have to stand out there for two days in that oven of, of Kona. Um, and it's incredible. I don't really sort of, I mean, I understand that trying to, you know, separate the races to make it, you know, better and, and more equitable. And I, I can get that argument, but I don't know. I just think you've, Kona's a day, that one perfect magical day of the year that you do it. And then what, we're doing two of them and now it just becomes this kind of thing. I don't know. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm normally can be talked off the, off the bridge on this one. Um, but I'm yeah, not. So, and so I, I guess um, I do want to try and talk you, talk you back a little bit of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, the Olympics all don't happen on the same day, right? Like it's, two weeks and and three weekends for the olympics everything you know like for and you know the soccer world cup it comes down to a final but you've got a a bunch of events going on so i don't think it's unreasonable to have um to have 
a couple of days of racing, especially because here's the upside, right? Like we finally get 50, 50 for Kona on the pro on the pro women's front, right? That that we're finally getting uh, 50 pro women qualifying for Kona. That won't be this year, but it will be next year when we've got sort of the official two day of Kona thing starting, which is great. Um, and and the women get to be highlighted. Um, so now I, I hope that down the road, the next step is that you start alternating. So it isn't always the women on the Thursday and the men on the Saturdays. You, you go men Thursday, women Saturday as well. Um, and that to me will be the big, when we see that, then we'll know that, okay, now everything is really getting close to that equal exposure deal. So I totally get it. Now, you know, it, yes, it's a huge change. Uh, but hopefully there's there's a ton of upsides to this. As I said, highlighting the women, hopefully uh, things can be spread out more. Although, um, you know, that said, of course, Ironman's going to fill both of those days up, right? So still going to have 2,200 people, probably not this year, but next year, that'll be the goal. 2,250 people on Thursday and Saturday. Yeah, I don't know. I... Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not convinced. I, I, I take your points. Um, but I think, you know, I still, you know, I love the days of the three days of Berlin Marathon or the, you know, the, the, and I, I know cycling does it. I just think triathlon is one day, like Ironman should happen in a day. And it's that one great day where, at the end of it, all the volunteers, all the journos, all the athletes, all the f- people watching are all just like, you know, I don't know. Can you have too much of it? The, the people will tell you, um, the people are speaking already again, and we're seeing a cross-section, not saying that it's completely true, Kevin, but it's certainly, I, I understand your points too. Yeah, no, and, and, and I'm quite happy to point out the downsides to all of this as well, as you say. Like, you know, the volunteers is going to be nuts to, to try and get all of those. The pressure on Kona. So, you know, what you're talking about in terms of expense, like, um, and, and believe me, I'm not trying to get out, like, any sympathy, all this stuff, like, we're going to Kona, yada, yada, yada. But uh, for us to find some, a place that was even remotely in our, bar, our ballpark of expense, we're staying out in Waikoloa, as a lot of people are. Um, so that's, what is that? 35 miles down the course. Oh, of course. Down the and and um, you don't get to go to Bubba Gump's this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might end up with Bubba Gump's, but certainly not having to be there. Cause I, I have to drive back. Um, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I've heard people, you know, some of the expense that they're paying for, for Kona's in and around Kailua Kona, uh, for condos, sorry, in and around Kailua Kona. Is it's just craziness um, for houses, uh, you know, thousands of dollars a day uh, to rent a house and stuff. So, yeah, there's a definite downside. Um, now, Iron Man, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the demographics for Iron Man racers are nauseating. Um, so, yeah, you know, but everyone has a price, though, Kevin. Like, you, you, you can't afford it. You can't just gouge a group of people because they, you know, they've got a few bucks to spend. I mean, like. I know the demo as well, but it's not, it's still the average triathlete age grouper. And, you know, they're not all just super cashed up. 
a lot of them it's a huge expense because you've got to try and get family over there as well. And as you said, trying to get a condo or trying to get anything on, you know, back in the day though, we were all used to stay in those places along Elite Drive and yeah. you would be within, well, I remember, you know, complaining about walking, you know, five minutes down to the, um, to the pier. Poor me. I once stayed opposite the pier. <laughs> I mean, we stayed opposite the pier a couple of times, you know, like it wasn't that excessive. It was like, oh, okay. It was, you know, but now, as you said, it just seems to be gouged. The pricing seems to be ridiculous. Um, yeah. And, and it, it is absolutely insane. And if you're a pro athlete, so, you know, I, I feel like people, you know, people have always said in the past, you know, if you don't come top five in Kona, you're losing money as a pro yeah. going, right? Um, and that's, and certainly top 10. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's even worse this year, right? Like it's, you know, it's going to be so hard for people to make a living through all of this stuff. And so, you know, you really have to question, or I, if you're a pro athlete, does this make sense for me to go? And you're kind of in this no-win situation on that front. So, yeah, really, really tough on that. Um, but the 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 sad reality is that if the people who can't afford it just don't go, and I'm sure there's lots of them, they're able to just keep filling up those slots. They will find people who will do it. Yeah, um, and that's what's sad. Like I totally hear you. Yeah, just because people can afford it, we shouldn't be doing it. But that's just the reality. And so I don't know. Um, at the end of the day, Ironman is a company uh, that needs to make money. It's a private company that needs to make money. And at the end of the day, they're going to do all the stuff that they can to do all of that. Um, and, um, and so that's where we run into these kind of issues and you go back and forth. So yeah. Um, yeah. Once we solve that one, and I don't know how you solve that one, because Iron Man's Iron Man, and it's the biggest show in our sport. Yeah, exactly. They need to get it right. Um, Kevin, you're about to hop a plane and fly uh -huh. to the Big Island, yes, um, and drop your Canadian shekels all over the island. Um, and we'll be catching up with you during the week, and we'll do obviously our previews uh, for the race. And I will tell you who will win. Won't be hard. Um, can almost tell you now. Uh, but then we'll be checking in uh, through the course of the week. So make sure you follow us. Uh, and if you enjoy what we do, give us a shout out or tell your mates. Uh, Kevin, I think we're going to um, knock it on the hour now. And um, maybe when you get the um, the flight in, you'll be in good shape to give us on the ground firsthand coverage of what's going on. Sounds great to me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, yeah, well, hopefully we will get quite a few of these done over the next week or so and um, look forward to giving you the updates from the Big Island. Kevin, safe travels to you. Thanks for your time. And uh, we will catch you in a couple of days on The Life of Try. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to The Life of Try. If you like us, tell your mates and follow us on Instagram at The Life of Try.